The first century Jerusalem church had great grounds for the first recorded church fight in history. It mixed together the strong benevolent needs to feed widows and a deep racial cultural divide. Let's look at Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7 to see how the first century apostles responded to this outbreak of discord. I've heard of some interesting sermon titles. When I was in seminary, we all had to listen to a very famous Baptist sermon called Payday Someday. And it was an incredible, powerful, topical message. One of the classics that uh, Dr. Lee gave, a great Baptist preacher. Another one you've all read. How many of you ever read an English literature class, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? Jonathan Edwards actually read that sermon, probably in a kind of a droll voice, but it comes across at Enfield, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. One of the greatest messages I've ever been is, I've been to the mountain. I've been to the mountain. Who gave that message? Anybody know? I've been to the mountain. Good, Martin Luther King gave that message. But you know, one of the most unusual sermon titles was from Les. He was a pastor in Long Island. I was doing a conference where I was speaking at different churches on the East Coast in New Jersey and New York, and I, I sat down at supper, Mary and I did, with Les. And the message was titled, it's unbelievable, it says, What Color Are the Curtains in the Basement? I gave him one of those, what in the world are you talking about looks? He said, well, you see, Dave, our fellowship hall, this is back east where they have basements. It's in the basement. And it came time, the curtains wore out, and so we needed to change them. And one group in the church was completely convinced that the curtains should be this color. Another group on the right believed that the curtains should be this color. And when they decided for the curtains to be the color of this group, the church, the group on the right, chose to leave. It was one of the biggest controversies we ever had in our church. So I titled my message and I closed my message about solving church fights with what color are the curtains in the basement? How many of you have ever been involved in a church fight? How many of you have ever heard of a church fight? How many of you ever wondered what in the world's going on in church fights? Don't you wish we could go back to a time there where there weren't church fights? Some of you have even left churches. You look back over your history today, you've left churches because you got disillusioned because this couldn't possibly be the place where the Spirit of God is working because people are fighting. So I'm longing for the day when I can get back. Well, we want to get back to the first century. That was, how many would agree, the first century church in Jerusalem? Pristine purity. I mean, they had the apostles running the show. What could be better than that? Turn to Acts chapter 6, because we want to study in Acts chapter 6 about the earliest, purest, pristine beginning of the church. Let's read Acts chapter 6, because I want you to listen to what the Lord inspired Dr. Luke to tell us about the first church fight. This is the first church fight. Look what it says. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hellenistic or Hebraic Jews. They complained because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12, that would be the 12 apostles, they gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you. 
men who are known to be full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to the prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and then laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. What's going on in this passage? First of all, the church is exploding. The evil one has attacked, the evil one has attacked this exploding church. And remember, we had Peter speak at Pentecost, 3,000 people get saved. He spoke again. Two more thousand people got saved. The church is now up to 5,000. We've had the Jewish Sanhedrin, the high priest Annas and Caiaphas. They attack the apostles. They throw them in jail. We just finished studying how they had to release them. Gamaliel stands up and says, hey, in the Sanhedrin, he stands up and says, listen, if Peter and John, the other apostles, if this thing be of God, you're not going to be able to stop it. And we got that incredible assurance to our own faith. Hey, this thing must be of God because we're 2,000 years later. We're more than 2 billion strong, at least cultural Christians. And so I would say this movement didn't just become a little abandoned movement within Judaism. Amen. So the evil one couldn't beat it with outright persecution. We're going to have more of that. Down through church history, persecution tends to fuel the growth of the church. Now the evil one attacks in a much more subtle way. He does it through church fights. The evil one will always attack as a group of believers begin to get their eyes on reaching others. We're gathered together here to reach out to others. We met last night in order to reach out to others. I want you to know that one of the most important reaching out to others is when you, like some of you right here, I was at, a, at Navarro's graduation. As I'm there with the doctor robes and everything, because I'm going to give the invocation. As I look around the room, one of the professors is right here this morning. They work in that school. I look at the Chris worked for the police sport. We could go on and on and share. As I look around this room, you're a cross-section of all of Ellis County, all of Dallas County, all of Fort Worth. So you're going to leave this room. You're involved in universities. You're involved in medical practices. You're involved in construction. I want you to understand that that's where you share Jesus. That's where you live Jesus. That's where you have quiet lunches, where you talk about Jesus. It needs to happen out there. That's what the early church was doing. And as we do that, and the more we do it, the more we're connecting with unbelievers, the evil one's not going to like it. And what he does is he causes this group right here, brothers and sisters in Christ, to fight. And I want you to know that it was a good one. This is an awesome, powerful fight. You say, why is that? Because look what it just says. They're fighting over widows. How many would agree that widows that have needs, that are hungry, in your city, need to be fed. It's a spiritual Christ-given thing. Christ rose again. Widows should be fed. Amen? You all agree on that. So your fights are going to come from some of the really deep, practical, social issues that need to be met. Now, what happens is there's normal fracture lines. Some of the worst fracture lines are over cultural, racial issues. In the early church, 
In the early church, there were Hebrew, Aramaic-speaking, blue-blood Jews. They raised their kids in Jerusalem, or they at least sent their kids to study with Gamaliel in Jerusalem. They were the pure ones. They were the ones that hadn't compromised with the world. You see, Alexander the Great, 300 years before Jesus, made the whole world Greek. And they, they ran naked in the gymnasiums, and, they, and they, they had these contests. And the Jews had even fought a war back in 167 where they fought against these Greek influence. You see, the Greek culture had even conquered the Roman Empire. Right in Jerusalem, right close to the temple, there was a horse track. Where the Greeks were, you know, they didn't, I'm not sure they bet it, I'm sure they did bet. But all this Greek culture right in the city of Jerusalem. So the Jews divided. The Jews of the first century divided. There was one group that spoke Hebrew and Aramaic, very pure blood. You had another group that said, no, we need to get involved in the culture. We need to be out there really making an impact. Man, we need to be involved. And and the Roman Empire is conquering the world. We need to get involved in the Roman Empire. And we need to stand for the great Yahweh in in the Roman Empire. So you have this great big divide. Does that sound familiar? Right in our own church, some of you have the philosophy. We're the pure bloods. We're fighting for doing our thing, exclusive. You're like that group, a very powerful group. There's another group that says, no, no, no. We need to be out there. We need to be involved. We need to be involved in every part of Midlothian. It's a tremendous danger to divide our church family. It was a danger to divide the early church family. So what did they do? There was tremendous potential hostility between the Hebrew speakers and the Greek speakers. As Texas changes, there's tremendous potential. If you're a Spanish speaker... And the English speakers, you're going to divide. Those are big divides. As African Americans move down, there's tremendous potential for division. Those are just a little thing. If you're a homeschooler, you have a tremendous potential to get upset with somebody who has their kids in public school. Right in our church family, I just get under the belt. For example, we have a child care center. I saw this whole auditorium filled with parents who have their kids, grandparents, parents, many of them that don't know Jesus. They let us train their kids hours and hours every week. Some of you feel we shouldn't do that. Man, it's messing up our church family. There's another group of you that says, no, no, man, we need to be involved in the community. You can kill each other over that. Those things get down inside. Even on Facebook, a fight broke out over the bond issue. Some of you this morning are jumping up and down. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Some of you are saying, no, that's not praise the Lord. That's the devil. He did it. And I'm going to have to pay $20 more in taxes. Now I'm really getting under the belt. I want you to be able to fight fairly in the political arena. You have every right to have your political views. And you should. I'm going to encourage you, your pastor teacher. You need to get involved. You need to feel really strongly. Be sure you tell the truth. Don't lie. Don't make statements about what's said in a Christian school, what's said in a homeschool. Don't make statements about what homeschoolers do if you don't find out what homeschoolers are doing. And get to know them. But also, don't make statements about what's happening in the Midlothian school system or the Waktahatchee ones unless... You talk directly, because that's slander to make statements that aren't true. I want you to realize this is what produces division. Now, what do you do? Now, this is a really legitimate conflict that took place. 
You see, the Greek-speaking widows, who were the more liberal Jews, when they came to get food, they were left out. Now, you talk about a hot one. That is a bad one. So what did they do? The Greek-speaking Jews got together. Now all born again, believe the Messiah, they get together, and they say, those Hebrews speaking, they're supposed to be followers of Jesus. Jesus taught us that we should love others more than we love us. They don't even care for widows. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to join. We're going to make the first church of the Hellenized Jews that believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We're going to leave. We're going to leave those Hebrew-speaking Jews, and we're going to form a completely new group. And we're going to be the first church of the Hellenized believing Jews that believe Jesus is the Messiah. To be honest with you, that's what most people think is a good idea. In other words, American Christianity, one of the things I'm really working on is I really believe that the body of Christ, I believe that by this shall all men know that you're my disciples because you love each other. And that you love each other based on the fact not because you go to a church where we all, and I'll, I'll, I'll just rub it a little bit harder, where we all sing, How Great Thou Art. And then we have another group where we all sing Stephen Curtis Chapman music. And then we have another group that really progresses where we sing all the latest, hottest rap music. Because that's what the church is doing. To be honest with you, it'd be much easier. And I want you to know you're a pastor teacher. This is what I'm really committed to. Homogeneous groups get along. Homogeneous groups get along. It's much easier for me to have a lot of African Americans together and teach them and not mix any Caucasians in and no Latins in. Much easier, to be honest with you. It's much easier for me to train all homeschoolers. It's much easier for me to have a whole group of just Christian schoolers. It's much easier for me to say, no, we're going to get rid of all of them. We're just going to have public schoolers. Because homogeneous groups all agree, they get together, they don't fight. In fact, there's many seminaries that actually teach you homogeneous groups grow, and so that's the direction we need to go. If I was teaching you sociology, I would tell you, man, it's a done case. As your pastor teacher... I'm not sure I want to be in a movement that doesn't believe that the blood of Jesus can unite people that like different kinds of music. I'm not sure I want to be in a movement. And I couldn't lead you if I didn't believe that the blood of Jesus and his resurrection power could help people with just different color skin to be together. And I wouldn't want to rob you because my greatest, some of the greatest moments I've had in life is being with people with different color skin and different languages. Just be honest with you, I grow older, I don't want to be part of a movement where I just say, you can't make it. And I'm actually in meetings where people say, no, they can't make it. And I don't want to be part of a group that says, well, if you're a great culture, if you're a homeschooler, you got to be with all homeschoolers. I want you to know, homeschoolers, I love you. 
You're part of us. We bless you. We want you to be part of us. We want to help to facilitate what you're doing. I'm going to challenge you like crazy. Make sure your kids are connecting with unbelievers because if they don't see people really born again, they're going to turn away. But I'm going to support you. I'll even die for your right to do that in the United States of America. But I also want you to know that we're going to support being involved in the public school system because in being here from the early 70s, our public school system is different because hundreds of believers have chosen to be involved there. Can we worship together? What do you think? Can we worship together? You say, how are we going to do it? Luke tells us some really important thing. Number one, when there's disagreement, when you see real legitimate needs that aren't being met, like widows not being fed, you get in your groups and you get angry because it's a legitimate need. What the Lord wants you to do is he wants you to go to your leaders. Somehow the apostles found out that the Greek-speaking widows were being left out. When you see needs that aren't being met, what this text teaches us that the apostles found out. All of my life, I've been involved in groups where you sit in little enclaves and you talk about the problems. You talk about what isn't happening. And very few times in those groups that someone say is, let's get it together and talk to those that are responsible for oversight. And Satan works really hard to get us not to do that. That's the first thing the early church learned to do. The second thing the early church really learned to do, the apostles said, we're not going to teach the word anymore. We're not going to spend time in prayer. We're not going to spend time learning the Septuagint and the Hebrew Old Testament. We're not going to teach you about the line of the Messiah. You see, the word of God really isn't relevant to the need of feeding widows. So what we're going to do is we really need to feed widows. So the teaching of the word of God isn't going to happen anymore. The early church didn't say that. The apostles nailed down their giftedness. I want you to listen to this. My giftedness is to teach you from the book of Acts this morning. That's my major giftedness. You need to pray that I will pray. We have other members of our church family that are gifted as teachers. I want all of you to know, teachers aren't more valuable in the body of Christ. They're just different. They're a different gift. The American church is losing pastor teachers who believe you need to open this book and carefully study it. They are beginning to listen to lots of other people that did it supposedly. And what they are devoting themselves is organization and leadership and the meeting of practical social needs. And I want to share it's one of my biggest temptations. When Dave Lauer and I went to seminary, the big emphasis was to learn the book so you can proclaim the gospel and teach the book. Now, we want to learn leadership, which is a great thing. But if you're gifted somewhere along the line, the body of Christ needs to be taught the word. So one of the first things I want you to learn is the early church didn't say to the apostles, the proclamation and teaching of the gospel and then the teaching of believers is not a priority. So don't devote your time to praying. Like one of my biggest temptations, if I'm praying, I'm tempted to say, well, I'm not doing anything. Because as Americans, when you're down on your knees praying, 
Nothing's happening. And that's one of the things that's making the American church really weak, and you need to pray for me in that, because I've devoted my whole life to studying the Word of God. And as I grow older, I'm tempted to say, well, no one cares. Nobody cares. No one even knows the difference anymore. And that's my sin, because it doesn't make any difference whether somebody cares. That's the mandate that the Lord gave me. When I teach you this morning, I need to know what the book of Acts is saying, which means that I've carefully studied it. I've listened to God's voice. I have talked to him about it so that his spirit can work through me to teach you not just my ideas, but his ideas. The early church maintained that priority. Now listen to me. Then they gathered the group together. They trusted the group. They trusted you. They trusted the gathered community. This is the beginning, brothers and sisters. If you want history, this is the beginning of the American democratic system that doesn't believe that only the elite, only the real power people can do things. They gathered the church and they said, you choose men from among yourselves that are full of wisdom, full of the spirit, that will be able to figure out how to meet the needs of the widows. If you're in our church family this morning, if you're sitting there going, man, this and this should happen. We need better greeters at the door. We need to get our small groups organized. There's a men's ministry that's going to meet early, 6 o'clock next Saturday morning. Some powerful ideas are going. There's women's ministry. Some of you, when you hear those needs, if you get mad at the disorganization in Midlothian Bible Church, those are the administrative gifts. In other words, I get angry when I hear a preacher speak and it has nothing to do with the Bible. In fact, I yell at students about it. Some of you don't know the difference. That's why I do what I do. What I want to spring you guys loose to do, listen. In the early church, they got the group together, which is what we're doing, and they said, you guys choose men. Those of you that have the real practical skills, like my wife Mary has that skill. She might not come up with the idea, hey, let's have a tailgate party. It just hits me like, hey, that would be a really fun thing to do. She says, no, that's stupid. Who would ever want to do that? Then we're riding back from Austin, and she says, hey, boy, maybe that would be a good idea, because that's what you administrators get going. And then the wheels start turning. You say, well, we're going to need this and this and this and this. I want to bless the servants that do the practical things. From the bottom of my heart, we've been losing way too many practical servants because we've been blocking you. There's tremendous things that are happening, women's ministry, men's ministry, and the way the Spirit of God moves is he works today. The Lord wants us to keep the priority of the teachers. He wants us to spring loose the servants, and they gather together, and this is what's really interesting. You need to do that. You need to keep the priority of the Word, You need to spring loose those that have the practical gifts of service and administration and planning, and you need to do that across all the barriers. I close with this. You know what's incredible about the list that they chose? Does anyone notice anything unusual about the list that they chose? They're all Greek. Now, why did they do that? They chose all Greeks. You know what that was? They were full of grace. Where was the problem? The problem was that the Greek-speaking widows were being neglected. So the early church chose all Greek-speaking servants, and they trusted them 
to take care of who? The Hebrew speaking. Now, that's the movement of the Spirit of God. And I want you to know that I believe with all my heart that the wind of the Spirit is moving. Because this text closes, it tells us the last guy here was a convert from Antioch. As we study the book of Acts further, it's going to be in Antioch that the church explodes into mission work. So Luke gave you a little hint. He started out, the gospel was spreading. He closed this passage by saying that the gospel is spreading. And that's what I want us to pray. I want us to be down on our knees. I want us to be working together. I want us to be calling together. To be honest with you, the early church in the second century quickly moved to this. Some of you are saying, well, David, it's so messy. Having groups work on things and, and having to work through a lot of heterogeneous groups and all that stuff. The early church in the second century solved the problem. They had one, they called him a bishop, and they started having bishops that were the authority. And then they started moving. They had special clergy class, and they had the peons, the regular believers. And that eventually led to what a lot of you were raised in, where you have popes and archbishops and cardinals and priests, and they're totally different from you. That's the history, because it's easier. Right away in the second century, you can read them debating what I've talked to you about today. Like I've told you, those that are gifted to teach, those that are like fathers need to be elders, those that are like big brothers and big sisters need to serve underneath, and we all work together. be honest with you, there's no title that just says the 12 and the 7, so there isn't a big emphasis upon titles. The emphasis is on giftedness, and the emphasis on the gospel needs to grow. Brothers and sisters, I believe that the Holy Spirit that kept the Jerusalem church united can still do it in the 21st century. Do you believe it? If you believe it, there's four things that are really important. That are right here, it says, natural fracture lines need to challenge us to demonstrate the power of Christ's love to unite us across differences, not divide us over differences. So I want you to pray about that. Will we unite across differences or will we divide over differences? Second of all, the importance of evangelism and the ministry of the word must be preserved even when faced with a challenge of intense social needs. The American church is beginning to stress social needs. I want to bless that. As an older pastor, I believe with all my heart. I'm on the United Way board because of that. The Salvation Army, all those groups are groups I'm really committed to. I don't believe that the gospel should be divided from social needs, but I believe that when you do divide them, that we stop telling people about how they can really conquer death. Do you agree with me about that? Can we as a church family keep united the proclamation of the gospel and the meeting of social needs? They flow together. Amen? Third thing, the practical solving of special needs must be met by united congregational action that chooses and empowers skilled, spiritual, practical leaders to get the job done. I want to bless the administrators. I've been married to an administrator my whole life. I love her. She completes me. She doesn't get angry that I pray. She doesn't get angry that I study the Word of God. She doesn't get angry that I don't know how to go to Brookshire's or go to Walmart and fulfill a 20-thing list with total accuracy. I come home with the wrong thing. And I'm working on it. But my whole life, she blesses. She asks me every day, Dave, what does this passage mean? How does this apply? 
She empowers me to be a teacher. And I need to empower her to be an administrator. And that's what I want us to grow in. I want to bless you. I, I want us to unite together. And then finally, the supernatural growth that the Spirit of God seeks will suppress the church fights. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need to listen carefully to what your Spirit was doing in the book of Acts. Lord, I want you to forgive me when I'm so focused on the gift of teaching that you've given me that I hurt and I discourage those that have the gift of practical service and administration and planning. Lord, I want to turn away from that. Lord, I want your Holy Spirit to take what we've learned from the book of Acts, and I want you to explode it. I want you to raise up a whole group of young couples that really believe in what we've studied and what we're learning from the book of Acts, and they capture a vision of a church family that is heterogeneous, all different kinds of people, but totally one family because of Christ's blood, because of his resurrection, so that we can enjoy the incredible diversity and yet unity that there can be in the body of Christ. Lord, it'll be a miracle if we're able to do that. But I thank you that the resurrected Jesus that kept the Jerusalem church together and then through persecution spread them all over the world. I pray, Lord, that we'll be part of that continuing story, that continuing redemptive history of grace. Jesus, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thank you that as Les finished his message, he would ask the congregation, now what color are the curtains in the basement? And the incredibly ironic thing is nobody could remember what color they were. As I look back on many of the fights that I've had that I thought were so strategic, I don't even remember what the fight was about. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that the peace and the patience and the love and the mercy that your Holy Spirit wants to produce would be powerfully realized because of what we've studied in your word this morning. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.